think some of the fundamental things is to really become a student of whatever it is you're selling. You have to know what you're talking about. And because when you have that depth of certainty, you come across, your conviction comes across and your power comes across. And at its essence, I believe sales is just simply a transfer of enthusiasm from one party to another. Tony Carlston is one of the greatest salespeople in the 70-year history of the Cutco sales organization. He rose through the ranks to become a national champion sales rep. And more notably, he is the pioneer behind the ever-growing Cutco Closing Gifts program. If you want to learn the skills for successful selling, entrepreneurship, and pioneering growth in your organization, this episode will be for you. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My guest today is Mr. Tony Carlston. Tony is one of the most legendary figures in the history of Cutco Cutlery sales among the top reps ever in the history of the company, $4.4 million in career sales. He's been in the business now for 21 years, since 1998, started in Vancouver, Washington, in the Portland, Oregon metro. He was a manager for a couple of years with the company during his developing time and then got into full-time Cutco sales and has largely been responsible for developing what is known as the company's Closing Gift Consultant Program, which is a program where we sell Cutco as recurring gifts to realtors and other like businesses. And that business has now been responsible for over $100 million in sales. Tony was largely responsible for creating that. He also is a serial entrepreneur who runs multiple businesses out of his home base location in Vancouver, Washington, where he employs about 50 people in the area. So Tony, thank you very much for making the time to be here today. I really appreciate having you on. Thanks for having me, Dan. It'll be fun. Yeah, this is going to be really fun for sure. So let's just start out by talking about how you got started with Cutco. I know it was 1998. Tell us about uh, where you were at and what it was like getting started. Sure thing. So I was 17 and I was uh, working at Taco Bell. I just got a raise to $5.15 an hour right before minimum wage went to five fifteen. And there was a friend of mine that was selling Cutco. And uh, another friend of mine started selling Cutco. So I was told about it. And I went in for an interview and didn't think anything of it. I just thought it was interesting. And on the second day of training, I gave notice to Taco Bell and just went after it. I mean, I hit FSM and I think it was like eight or nine weeks back then and went into full-time sales. 
And uh, my senior year of high school, I was 17 at the time, my senior year of high school, I made $43,000 selling Cutco. And they told me starting pay out of college was like 36000 So uh, my brain at the time said, I'm not going to go to school to make less money. So I'm just going to do the knife thing for a while. And my daughter was born uh, shortly thereafter. So I had a family to start taking care of. And I was in residential sales for about three years. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I went into management for a couple of years, super well, learned a lot, worked hard, uh, learned a bunch of different stuff and decided that with uh, the amount of hours I was putting in, um, I needed a little more flexibility, uh, especially with my second child on the way. So I went back into the field as about 450,000 in sales at that point. And I attended an RDC meeting. And for those of you listening, don't know what that is, national meeting, a lot of people get together, talk about ideas, training, whatnot. And I heard John Rulin speak at that about business gifting. And business gifting was very interesting to me. I think that one of the main problems we have with Cutco as a product is that when we sell it, they don't need it again, uh, which if you're the salesperson, that's hard because we're all limited by the amount of time in a day. So the idea of selling these large orders or these accounts was very interesting to me. And at that point, when I closed my office, I went out and uh, started realtors and loan officers, which are uh, what's under the umbrella of Cutco Closing Gifts or the Realtor Program. We're always talking about people to practice on, if you will. Uh, not very big orders, but easy orders. And I started selling to some of them. And from that, the story continues. And we uh, you know, have done quite a bit in the last 13 years around all of that. Yeah, and we can definitely go down that road here today. I want to hear more about how the program developed. I want to just go back to when you first got started. Who'd you start with? Start with Aaron Love. He was my initial manager. And then shortly thereafter, he had moved to another city. And I kind of bounced around for a little bit for a couple managers that came in. And then I was actually in Isaac Tolpin's first district office. Isaac had won the Branch Silver Cup the summer prior. And then he'd come back the next summer to open his district. And he was just young and full of fire and excited. And he's really the person that groomed me for uh, until he left the business, which has been a long time at this point. But I was with him for years and years and years. Yeah, outstanding. Definitely a, an amazing leader that you got to work with and learn from. What were some of the early experiences you had as a sales rep? Now, you referenced that you know you were 17 and that uh, you sold 450000 over a few years before you got into management. Uh, what were some of the experiences that you had as a sales rep and some of the lessons that were born out of them? Uh, you know, there was the basic ones, like just keeping track of your day and the importance of the consistent phone calls. That was, I, I never sounded good on the phone. I still don't think I sound good on the phone. And, uh, but doing the work consistently, I found the people that worked the metrics really were the ones that got the results. The ones that did the most demos won. So uh, being in for the phone jams, making the morning calls, filling the gaps in the day with service calls, doing lots of demos, asking for referrals every single time. Uh, really just sounds so absolutely basic, but following the program as I was taught, I found so many people, even when I stop by local training classes these days, just to give tips, are trying to recreate the wheel, if they will. And the reality is the program, the residential program is really good. We've done this for a really long time and it's dialed. And the people that follow the program, work it hard and have the grit and tenacity to get after it, seem to have really good results. And so, you know, when I started there, there was, we didn't even have the tool set yet, really. Like there was no Vector Connect. Like that wasn't a thing. So 
uh, growing up in the business and being introduced to all the tools and all the knowledge. And I think people that are starting these days are so lucky because they have such an abundance of information at their disposal. So for me, it was, you know, the, the basic things of sales you had to learn, asking for referrals, consistent work, filling your schedule, how to properly drop down, how to add on Christmas gifts, how to, how to get good at that position. And it was really a metric thing. Like, enough appointments turned into enough sales and got turned into enough referrals schedule was full and that started compounding over time so just some of those basic things that you don't know until you have to know if that makes sense yeah yeah that, that was helpful right there tony i think that for a lot of reps who come into cutco vector one of the biggest advantages for them to be able to succeed is that we do have a track for them to follow yeah. That if they just run down that track, we know that by and large, it leads to some kind of level of success. You know, some people it's great success, others it's a little bit, you know, lower success, but it's success nonetheless, because the program itself is proven. And that's, it's when people tend to kind of go off the track that they struggle a, a lot more. And so I think that's a valuable lesson for people to consider in whatever they're doing, you know, is, is there a track record or a track that you can follow that other people have established for you? There isn't always one in every business, but in country right. there is, and it's cool that uh, people are able to move down that track and then learn the lessons that they can translate to other things down the road. Also, I never related to any of the things. Sometimes I talk to people and they just have like doubts about things around like, does this work? And for me, since I was a personal recruit, I already knew someone it worked for and then I met a lot of other people it was working for. So I didn't, I never struggled with that. And I think a lot of people, they get in their own way because they get carried away in their thoughts instead of the process. And if they're focused on the process and are really focused on doing it properly, instead of their thoughts around it, the results are drastically different. So that is one thing I was lucky how I came into the business. I had a great manager. I was super naive and uh, came into a great company that had a great product and showed consistency of results through effort, which was super helpful. Yeah. So let's take it forward now a few years. And you're at this event where John Rulin is speaking. Of course, John has been a guest here on the podcast and is doing incredible things in the world. And he puts this seed into your mind about selling you know, large orders as gifts, business gifts. Um, he primarily views it as you know a way for a business owner to show love to clients yep. or employees um things like that and you sort of translate it into well what about like real estate agents like they're giving gifts all the time and they're selling a lot of repeat business and yeah. you could have a lot of recurring sales if you were to pursue real estate agents so how did you start pursuing that program great question so I started exactly what he taught. So I started selling to businesses that were not real estate agents, started selling to builders and lumber companies and had some big orders, exciting orders, stuff I didn't even ever think was possible. But in my opinion, there's a couple main differences between selling to real estate agents and selling to businesses. I think uh, when reps go out and sell to businesses, either most people either work for a business or they own a business. So they may have a need for business gifts, but in most companies, they're not going to give our stuff consistently. And I found that to be something that was not appealing to me about business gifting. Like I may be able to sell, you know, 200 gifts for a Christmas gift, but they're not going to buy Cutco every Christmas forever. So it was larger. It was the analogy I've used with John before is he's a great big game fisherman. He's got a lot of lines in the water and he nails some real big ones. 
I'm a net fisherman. I just throw that stuff out there and scoop up things consistently. And when it comes to pure tonnage, we get a lot of fish. So <laughs> realtors, uh, we're always talking about people that were great to practice on. And uh, there was no program. There was nothing. So I'd go sell some closing gifts to realtors. And the orders were like 500 bucks, 600 bucks, 700 bucks. They weren't that exciting. But there were lots of realtors, tons of them. And the big difference is they were all their own decision maker, which is a huge difference because you don't have to go through the process of finding the decision maker, seeing if it fits into a budget, this, that. And they were already all spending the money. So today, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, someone buys a house. Most people go out and buy them something and they'll give them a token of appreciation for buying the house, basket, gift card, dinner out, whatever. So for me, I felt like a Verizon phone salesman. I was uh, out there promoting what I do and switching people from AT&T to, to Verizon, just diverting funds, if you will. Uh, so it was a very easy job. Once I figured out the program, right? And the program was developed and I went out and I started speaking in front of groups of agents at meetings and collecting their business cards and sitting down with them one-on-one -on -one and writing up orders. And we'd sell them at the time of five months supply of gifts, put it on a five pay. And then at the end of five months, they'd run out of gifts and then they would reorder, which was kind of cool. And that started happening. And so what had happened is my first year back, Silver Cup back in these days, and for those of you listening, don't know what Silver Cup is, it's like number one rep in the company. There was only one. Uh, and it was about 230,000-ish in a year it, to take the Silver Cup. So my first year back selling, I sold about 200K, I think it was number five, and about 80,000 was Realtor. So no one really took any notice because I was right within that guideline. And then the next year, I sold about 215,000. I was number two or three. And same thing, no one really took notice. The next year, I did 320,000. And number two did like 240. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, what in the world are you doing? And for me, I've been doing it all along. So it didn't seem any different than what I was doing. But my clients were reordering and no one else is worse. So I built a better mousetrap. Mm. So it was starting to layer just as a, uh, an insurance agency would. You're getting your renewals, people reordering, and then you're getting new business. And it was starting to do that. And then I decided, okay, well, I have a lot of people calling me. And a lot of people asking me about this. And I don't want to just spend my time telling people about it. So I put together like a little Tony Robbins kit. And I was going to sell it for 400 bucks. And I had a bunch of pre-orders, 50 or 60 pre-orders. And right about that time, Cutco got wind of what I was doing. I got a call. It's either from John Kane or Steve Porzik and said, we like what you're doing. We want to sell more knives. But before you ship this kit out, maybe we can partner. And I wasn't opposed to it. And so I was like, sure. So they flew out Steve Porzik. We spent a couple days. And one of the nicer compliments I've ever received, Steve's like, I've been in the company 15, 20 years at this point, most impactful 48 hours of my life, career-wise. Wow, cool. That, which was a great compliment. And then they flew me out. I met with uh, some of the owners back in Olean. We started with a real light partnership. And we launched the kit and we launched the program and Cutco Closing Gifts was born. And uh, in that process, some other things happened that uh, ended up having me turn into an entrepreneur and an engraver in my parents' garage. And I decided, well, I'll go into engraving just my stuff, right? So my stepdad retired. We bought one engraving machine. He was doing just my stuff seven hours a day. And then as the program grew, other people were like, well, maybe you could do our stuff. I'm like, there's no money in engraving, but if it helps it grow, okay. And uh, as the program continued to grow and more people got involved and more people started seeing the value of working nine to five and repeat business and these different things, uh, we got to like four machines and nine employees. And my stepdad's like, I did not sign up for this. Get me out. <laughs> so, so I bought him out 
we moved into our main headquarters, which is where we're located now. We were in one suite. Now we're in five. There we're about 12,000 square feet. And from that point, it's grown. And now we have just under 50 employees. We do just, I think, around 90% of the engraving for the U.S. for Cutco. We engrave about 1,000 knives a day. And we're, we have a warehouse there where we hold millions of dollars with the Cutco and fulfill and engrave and ship and wrap and do all of the ancillary services around all of that. Wow. Wow. So that's a pretty interesting path that you've taken to be able to have uh, these multiple plates spinning in your life. I find it so fascinating just to hear the history of how this unfolded and, you know, starting with hearing John Rulin talk about business gifting and transforming that into selling to realtors and then all of what you've done to help build it up is just so fascinating and so cool. What do you see for the future of the program? I really think we're just getting going. I said, we've done about a hundred million in sales and when you look over the last 13 years nationally, on average, five, six, seven of the top 10 reps every year have been full-time CGCs because of the just better mousetrap to build when people are repeat clients. Last year, 68% of our total volume as a program was repeat business. So where do I see it right now? I think we're just at the beginning, honestly. like I think we have the fundamentals dialed. Now it's about adding recruits, opening markets. And uh, I think we could have 500 to 1,000 closing gift reps. Right now, we probably have close to 100. So um, I see it could be a 50 to $100 million a year business in the near future, in the next 10, 15 years, as it continues to grow properly. And so this year's going super well. We're up this year. We made some strategic changes from a leadership standpoint. And Cutco's fully behind it and super supportive, which is great. So it's trending in a really good direction. And uh, it's, we're in a good spot for sure. So it's exciting. And uh, we, I continue to open more markets, take care of our customers better, and then layer the business even deeper with more uh, products, offerings, and services is really where I see it continuing to trend and go. Yeah. What role is Adam Sobieski playing in the growth of the program? You mentioned some leadership, recent mm-hmm. leadership changes. I'm sure that he's a right. part of that. Absolutely. So Adam is the number one CGC of all time. He was one of my original like 10 or 15 reps back in the day that got going with this. And Adam's really taken a role in terms of training. So he runs our national call on Wednesdays. He helps with putting together our agenda for our national event that happens twice a year. He helps with training strategy and uh, modules. And uh, he's really the go-to guy when it comes to technically how to do this, accountability, working with the team leaders, and uh, scaling it up, uh, which is great because that frees me up to do the operational part and work with the high-level executives to help with the recruiting part so I can help recruit and run the back end, and then he can take the people and help run them through the process. And we're seeing great results with that in short order. Yeah, that's fantastic. Awesome. So you've worked with a number of really highly successful salespeople here in Cutco, coach them, develop them. You yourself are an amazing salesperson, not just for Cutco, but just in general, as an influencer, as a communicator, Mm -hmm. uh, you're powerful. I wanted to get into what you see as some of the skills, traits, qualities of the most highly successful salespeople. What are some things that anybody who's in sales can chew on that they can begin to develop and work on to be as successful as you've been? Sure. I think some of the fundamental things is to really become a student of whatever it is you're selling. You have to know what you're talking about. And because when you have that depth of certainty, you come across, your conviction comes across and your power comes across. And at its essence, I believe sales is just simply a transfer of enthusiasm from one party to another. 
So if everyone is as excited about Cutco as I was, everybody would own Cutco. So my personal belief was back in my residential days, I had to use the knives. I had to use them a lot. I had to use them in appointments. I had to use them outside of appointments. I needed to know what every knife was for. I needed to spend the time in the back of the training manual, like learning, uh, you know, even to this day, it's been a long time, but I think verbatim, word for word, the hearty slicer is a hefty blade for heavy duty slicing and dicing for party platter foods, great for slicing cheese, pepperoni, sausage, hard to cut fruits and vegetables and disjointing fowl. Like I haven't been done a residential appointment in 15 years, but that was so ingrained in who I was in terms of what the product was, what it was for, that it became second nature to not only talk about it, but talk about it with conviction, be excited about it and use it myself which then when I was with customers, it was very comfortable because there was no lack of conviction and there was no lack of value there. Meaning I really felt like, and I still do, that's an amazing value what we sell and I'm helping people by getting it. And I always felt that I was a good buyer's agent. Meaning I'm working with them. It wasn't ever an across the table, who's going to win this? They're going to buy or not buy and it's going to be the winner. It's I'm here to help. What are your needs? Let's figure it out. Let's talk about something exciting and uh, let's get to know each other. And, you know, I think, Rapport building is really important. I think a lot of people overlook that. It's far easier to work with people if they like you. And if you let them talk about themselves, they like you automatically more. So just the basic things like talking about people. So looking around their house, looking at pictures, talking about travel, talking about their pets. People love their pets, their plants, just different things. Building that rapport, letting them talk about themselves. If they like you, they're a million times more likely to buy and buy a lot because then you're building a relationship and you're there for the right reasons. I also think that something's really important is you can't be a needy salesperson, meaning you have to get your life together. You need to save some money. You need to not have your next sale be dependent on your mood, your mood dependent on your next sale rather. So where I could go out in a week and I could sell five grand, 10 grand or zero, and I should go into my next appointment the exact same way. I also think state management's really important. Every single residential appointment I ever did I blared pink, let's get the party started right before I went into the appointment in the car because it got me in the right mindset, regardless of what garbage was going on in my life, to walk into that appointment, be in a good state, have fun, share what we do, get a lot of referrals. You don't get a lot of referrals, guess what? You're either not asking or they don't like you. Maybe work on your likability, right? So have some fun, use some good skill. The tools are all available. So that was always my thing. Like I can learn how to do this. I can be excited and I can have fun with this and I can follow the program and get good results. So those things, state management is really important. I think some fundamental things people miss in general in life is the basics. Like, am I exercising? Am I drinking enough water? Am I sleeping? Am I doing these things that really affect how you carry about? I think some people sleep three, four hours a night and they're cranky all the time and they think it's their situation. Well, maybe they just need to sleep. Maybe they just need to eat better. Maybe they need to exercise and their whole world would change. So I think dialing into that is really important as well. Yeah, so much to unpack right there, Tony. I mean, starting with just health basics and making sure that, uh, you know, people are taking care of themselves. Uh, without that, nothing else that we do is going to put us in a position to really succeed at a high level. Right. Um, your idea of, you know, being a, a student of what you're doing and developing product knowledge and the, the depth of certainty that you're helping people, benefiting people. One of my last guests just talked about what she learned from Cutco was the, the difference between how people view selling and what it really is, which is helping people. And that if you believe in what you're doing and you believe that it has value, you're helping people. And that, you know, when she started her own business, 
she had to be asking people to pay, you know, her large dollars for the value that she was bringing to their organization, to their team. And, and that, uh, what enabled her to do that was thinking back to selling Cutco and just the fact that she believed in what she was selling there and that she was helping people. And I think that's a, such a great point for people to consider who are in any form of sales, whether it be selling a product per se or selling their own service is how much do you believe in what you are doing for other people? Because if, if that depth of certainty is there, then you're far more powerful in communicating and influencing people. I couldn't agree more. Another point that I thought about when you were finishing what you were saying is keeping your childlike playfulness alive, having fun and laughing with customers and joking around and all of that that childlike curiosity and fun really plays to results. When I think of our top performers in our company at any level, most of them are really good at that. Uh, You don't want to have people at the end of your presentation, whatever your presentation is, whether it's with Cutco or elsewhere, to be exhausted. You want them to feel like they just had so much fun and this was great. I just went yesterday or day before and bought a new couch and the guy was a new couch salesman he'd been doing it for like two months and he was so excited and wanted to tell me all about everything and at the end i was like that was great like that was such a good experience right and that's i think how sales should be like you were just talking about it's helping people but are you having fun while you're doing it in your own way yeah that's a great insight and you're definitely somebody that's always demonstrated that in just the way that you are. I know that, you know, in watching you speak at events or, you know, working with people, you demonstrate that childlike playfulness and you demonstrate that you're having fun and enjoying what you do. And and I think that has a, that plays into what you said about state management, right? Because when you're having a good time and you're enjoying what you do, it's, it's making you feel good inside, right? And that helps you overcome whatever negative things might be going on in life or challenges you're facing and things like that. So, so that was really powerful as well. And, and I also like what you said about how you, you can't be needy, that your, your mood cannot be dependent on your next sale. In fact, it's the other way around. It, it, you know, one of the guests I had on the podcast was Andrew Bosworth, who is one of the biggest executives at Facebook to this day. And he actually talked about one of the things he learned in his couple summers with Cutco, his experience selling, was that he found a direct one-to-one correlation between one's attitude, one's mindset, and one's results and that it was attitude that affected results. It wasn't the other way around. Sure. And that, uh, you know, when you bring the right mindset to your day, when you bring the right mindset to your experiences, you're putting yourself in a position to succeed and being able to find the ways to do that, whether it's blasting your favorite song or whatever else it is that you do, finding ways to help impact and control that mindset where you're feeling good, feeling confident, feeling inspired, expecting to succeed. That's critical for sure. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So you've got this uh, empire you run there in Vancouver, Washington, uh, where you, of course, you still sell Cutco and you've also got, you're running branding tools out of there. And I know you've got a couple other irons in the fire up there as well. What other plates are you spinning up there? Uh, My primary roles are split into a couple. I oversee the program for North America, the closing gift program. I have branding tools that does the engraving and Part of Branding Tools is Inside Sales Group. So I have about 60 people on my uh, team, meaning reps in the company that we do their back end for the reorder callbacks and the texting and email marketing and whatnot. And that group sells a couple hundred thousand a month in repeat business to the groups we manage. And then 
I own Best Day of My Life, which is a apparel company that was started by Cutco Reps years ago that I bought and relaunched last year. It's hard to have a bad day if you're wearing something that says Best Day of My Life. It sets your intention. And uh, 10% of our proceeds go to Front Row Foundation, which is uh, another Cutco alum business charity. And then I, my inside sales group sells my Cutco as well. Uh, so I sell a couple hundred thousand a year to my book of business. I've been out of the field directly for several years five years or so, but we still sell two to 300,000 repeat business to that book every year. And then we do some warehousing. I rent out some of the warehouse space for storage. I have half a dozen or so rental properties. And yeah, so we run a few things out of there, but it's mostly engraving and shipping and warehousing. And then my office is there. So when I go into that office, if I'm not working from home, uh, that's where I work. Awesome. Awesome. What are some of your biggest challenges in business? I would say it's generally people related. You know, it's hard to hire good people, uh, not good people, but uh, effective people. So working through that process, building the processes around that compliance issues, legal issues, making sure all your T's are crossed and I's are dotted when you own a company and everybody's paid properly. And, you know, there's all that back in business. Um, but generally it's people related, you know, when you're working through problems, nothing really lands on my desk unless uh, we're planning something big or someone's irate. So if it makes it to me, it's something important. So working through those, I've found with willingness and a good attitude. And if you're working with the right people, you can usually work through most stuff. If you give it enough time and energy and you're open to solutions, even if they're not your solution. Uh, so I would say those are probably some of the larger challenges being an entrepreneur at this level. And uh, for example, best day, I don't know things I don't know. So it's learning. It's a whole different skill set, even though there's a lot of business parallels because it's still shipping and receiving and manufacturing and whatnot. But there's some things around apparel. I don't have any idea, you know, not a clue. So learning those things. I remember Bruce Goodman, uh, the Vector uh, West president coming into branding tools. And he's like, how did you figure out how to do all this? I'm like, well, you just kind of mess it up until you don't anymore. And then that's kind of how it works. And then also keeping the eyes open for new opportunities. You know, recently we transitioned our operation from uh, a type of engraving called diamond drag engraving, where a tip comes down and scratches knives, to uh, fiber laser engraving. So we went from 15 machines to three that are far quicker and more efficient and the marks better. And we learned about that from, I was in a meeting in uh, Olean, Cutco headquarters, and they have been transitioning to that. So then we transitioned to that, working through that process. So it's finding the parallel markets that you can monetize. It's working with people and the challenges around that. And then it's uh, refining your business as technology advances uh, to become more effective and efficient as well. Nice. Are there elements of your leadership style in running your business that you feel like you can trace back to observing Isaac Tolpin? Uh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Isaac and John Kane are probably the two most influential in terms of molding how I view things and work with people. I remember distinctly works, running Isaac's office and being late night parking lot conversations in front. And uh, one of the things he said that will always stick with me is I was ranting and upset about something. He goes, you need to remember that it's not about you. And the more you can own that it's not about you, the more power you'll have in fixing the problem. So uh, how I equate that into being an entrepreneur now is it's all about me, meaning full ownership, right? So when someone makes a mistake in my company, if I just say, well, it's their fault, and I'm mad, and rah, 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 well, that doesn't fix any. That's me just getting upset. It's giving away my power. So if I take ownership and say, okay, well, 
They're a reflection of me, my training, my leadership, my guidance. And if they made a mistake, there's errors to this human, but I built a lot of redundancy into this. How can I, as a leader, make sure this doesn't happen again? I've really found that the quality of questions you ask yourself is maybe the biggest determining factor of success with anybody. Let's say you have two people that want to lose weight. One person says, why am I so overweight? They both have the goal of losing weight. And your mind goes, well, it's because you eat a lot of garbage and you, you don't exercise and blah, 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 blah. The second person goes, well, what are some things I can do to lose some weight? And your mind goes, oh, well, you could start exercising every day for 30 minutes. You can drink more water and you can cut out sugar. And you can do this. Both people have the same goal. Both people ask some questions, but both people uh, will get different results based on the quality of questions they're asking themselves. So I'm very aware of the quality of questions I'm being asked and the quality of questions, more importantly, I'm asking myself. And if there's something that will be productive or if I'm looking just to be upset. Mm, that was really good, Tony. Thank you for those insights. I felt like that was really valuable. Just the, the idea of taking full ownership and then, of course, the quality of questions that you're asking yourself. It, it, our questions direct our focus. And our questions set us on a path before we even find the answer. It right. sets us on a path, on a direction. And, and a lot of times people ask themselves questions that set them on a path that's not going to lead to a good place. It's going to lead them to answers they don't want. Right. Learning to retrain our minds to ask ourselves the right questions is a critical element to success for sure. So, awesome. That was great. Well, so Tony, you know, the theme of the podcast is changing lives. And as you look into the future for yourself, you know, how do you aspire to change people's lives through your work or through your influence? I think one of the ways I will continue to help people change their lives is we end up with a lot of reps that, for lack of better terminology, want the more normal job. I mean, the realtor program is more of a nine to five, five days a week. So once people start, uh, developing in life and they end up with some kids or we want to travel a little more or they want to start building something that's more residual. Uh, we start appealing to a lot of them because I think we see a lot of people that will go through the residential program and they'll either decide they want to go into management or they leave. And if they go into management, a lot of those people don't do that forever. They do it for a season and then we lose them. So I think how my impact will be defined long-term will be how many people are still with our business, which is a great business, and how many people are making a great income while really living the lives they want to live because the residual piece of that is built in. So once you're selling two, three, four, five hundred thousand a year and two or three hundred thousand, that's repeat business, you take a week or two off to go do something that's really important to you, whether travel or take time to spend with your family or whatever it is, and your sales still roll in. It's pretty exciting. And then, so I really feel like that's going to be part of my impact and legacy because I think we're going to continue building a lot of people into those spots. And uh, those people seem to be really happy because they're living a great life, but they have great income and they have their evenings and weekends off to do what they want. And uh, that I think is one of, it's the little sweet spot we've really carved out for folks. Yeah, that's neat. You're helping people sort of normalize their schedule while staying within Cutco. I mean, so many people who grow up in Cutco love it here and want to find a way to stay with the company, but they want to also balance having family and other things and, you know, be able to run a Cutco business within some normal limitations of schedule. And, and, uh, you're providing a vehicle for people to do that that is coming to fruition in a big way for a lot of people. And it's amazing to see. 
And uh, you're really, really impacting the company in a powerful way. And you have the admiration of many. When I think of you, Tony, of course, the first thing that comes to my mind is charisma, because you're just this dynamic uh, and powerful communicator. But I also think about brilliance, just in how you, you know, kind of took John Ruland's concept and hatched it and how you've been able to create branding tools out of a necessity that you perceived and all of the other things that you're spinning. You know, I, I've called you a wizard before uh, because it seems like you're able to just wave a wand and get so many things done. And uh, it's amazing to see. And as I said, you really have the admiration of the entire company. And we appreciate you for all that you're doing. And I appreciate you for offering your time to our audience here on the podcast today. So thanks very much. And thanks for having me. You, for sure, were one of those key players, you and Mark Lovis, that was always giving talks when I was new. And I was watching you on stage and being, and you were explaining parts of who I was that I had no idea existed. It was those aha moments. I'm like, yeah, that is how I think about things. Or, oh, yeah. It, oh, yeah. Those type of things. So you are absolutely part of my story and hope I am certainly part of your legacy because you were one of those massively impactful people. You always have been. But when I started and I was a rep in the field, you and Mark Lovis especially, that were continuing to bring quality content. And it's exciting to see you do this podcast uh, because you'll, you continue that as part of your legacy for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you for contributing, Tony. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. The Wizard of Vancouver, Washington, Tony Carlston. Loved hearing how the Cutco Closing Gifts program evolved, starting from an idea hatched by John Rulin and then being morphed and developed uh, in Tony's mind into what it has become today and the amazing opportunities that that program is going to be continuing to open up for people all across the Cutco universe in the future. Tony gave some great tips on being a successful salesperson. Of course, the idea of product knowledge, being a student of what you're doing and developing that depth of certainty, that conviction, uh, the rapport skills and getting people to talk about themselves critical. I think that comes down to genuine interest in others. It's not a tactic. It comes from a sincere place of genuine interest. Uh, state management is critical for success, not just in sales, but in anything. And I love where Tony talked about childlike playfulness and really having fun at what you're doing. Such a great idea about how to make things successful, how to enjoy your experience and whatever it is that you do. I can remember an experience with Tony in Vancouver, Washington. Vancouver, by the way, is a city about 200,000 people across the river from Portland, Oregon. So it's in the Portland Metro, but it's separated, you know, by the Columbia River and it's a relatively small city. And Tony has one of the nicest cars that I have ever seen in my life. It is an incredible bold blue Ferrari. And we're driving around in Tony's Ferrari and we go to this place to go eat lunch. And, you know, we park and we go inside and some kid comes walking in and he's looking from table to table and he sees these two guys there and kind of like connects like, okay, I think I got the right guys. And he comes up and he goes, is that your car? And Tony's like, yeah. And the guy goes, what do you do? And Tony says, I sell knives. (laughs) And I thought, How awesome that this guy that started out selling Cutco and as a 17 year old in 1998 has built an empire of success in Vancouver, Washington. 
is building a legacy in the Cutco company and has had so much powerful impact and incredible results in his business and in his life. So hope you enjoyed that. Tony Carlston, have a great rest of your day, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.